All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers, and welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences, things that have built us up as people. We hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Ooh, Tari J, what the heck I got to do to be with you on a podcast? Damn, you you done already did it, baby. You already won my heart, and now you, you, you're hanging out with me one time a week. Ooh, committed three-year relationship you and I have. I like it. It's nice. See, I was uh, it was it was comical a minute ago, and now it's very nice and tender. That's what you get. Aww. You get both on the Missing Out podcast. You get the laughs, but you also get the real shit. You get the heartfelt stuff that makes you that makes you tear up, and then you chuckle again, and you're like, "Ah, oh, those rascals! They got me." <laughs> we we always get you. That that that's our motto. Anyways, so today <laughs> we are talking about uh, Twenty One Chump Street. It is a segment that was originally featured on This American Life, episode 457, What I Did for Love, uh, and later adapted into a one-act musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, starring uh, Lin-Manuel as the narrator, uh, Anthony Ramos as Justin LeBoy, uh, Lindsay Mendez as Naomi Rodriguez. You would recognize these names from, specifically, uh, Into the Heights, uh, and uh, if you click the link in the description, there will be a uh, a link to both the episode and the uh, cast album and also the uh, YouTube video of the live performance, just in case you haven't had a chance to check it out or you just want to watch it again. Um, so this is the beginning of our segment this month called Julies, uh, which is a series that covers fictional retellings of real events. Uh, and so this specifically is a fictional retelling of a moment in history in 20, 2012 in which uh, schools in, I believe it was Palm Beach County, Florida, mm-hmm. were, I would describe as infiltrated by police uh under the guise of students and they were trying to root out drugs in the county schools and this is a uh specific first person telling of that event from one high school kid who fell in love with one of the undercover cops so that's 21 chump street lex you haven't had a chance to or you hadn't seen heard or experienced this uh, what was your first reaction? Well, so uh, one point of clarification, I had not seen uh, the musical adaptation of it, and I, I may not have heard the initial This American Life segment before we started to prep for this week's 
podcast, but I was familiar with this story. You started describing to me what the general plot of this thing was and bells started going off in my head. And I said, uh, you know, where did this, where was this? And you said it was Palm Beach County, Florida. I said, that is exactly why I have heard this story. Palm Beach County is where I went to high school. Um, I did not go to one of the three schools that were targeted in uh, Operation D minus, but uh, what Park Vista High School is where, um, where this guy went to school, where Justin LaVoy went to school. And that was probably give or take 25 minutes from where I lived. So it is not entirely outside the realm of possibility that even though I didn't know any of these kids personally, and even though I had been out of high school for a, a few years at this point already, uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility that I'm only a couple degrees removed socially from a couple of these kids. Um, so that was was wild. And then as I listened to the story, um, and it, like you said, it's a first person account on the uh, initial This American Life segment where Justin is telling the story himself. As he's telling the story, I went, oh, yeah, well, this all sounds exactly correct. I I know these kids, basically, not obviously not personally, not these exact people, but I know these guys, I know this school, and I know the school system that will absolutely sign off on ruining the lives of young people behind shit as stupid as marijuana. Um, so all of this sounded, um, it was very familiar. This was very, I mean, this hits very, very close to home for me, literally. Um, and then getting to see the adaptation of it. I mean, obviously now we're all familiar with uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's work. Yeah. From in the Heights, obviously. And then of course, uh, Hamilton, which was another collaboration uh, between him and um, uh, Anthony Ramos, who's the the lead here. Um, I, I wasn't surprised that it it's all super catchy, super fun. Um, it's, it's funny while not um, issuing humanity. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. You know I mean? Like what's not to enjoy. I mean, it's such a, it's a it's a way to take a story that at its heart is actually if you start to pick at it even a little bit really heartbreaking on a number of levels and it makes it so um accessible and so digestible and you know he, he the dude is able to generate um really effective music it seems uh, completely effortlessly as we've now seen and heard repeatedly uh, so it really doesn't come as any surprise that like all of the songs i think there's five original songs in this uh one act musical and each one of them is is crazy catchy and uh, also uh he's able to convey character through music in a way that i think is insanely effective i mean again like uh, for for an example everybody's going to be watching like hamilton on on disney plus so you can you can easily see what i'm talking you can spend three hours looking specifically at uh what i'm talking about but i i dug it I dug it a whole bunch. Um, I feel like there's nothing not to like except the the reality of what happens to Justin is is really, uh, in my opinion, pretty unsavory. But uh, if you take just one little step back from that and you look at this as sort of an artistic endeavor, um, I dug it a whole bunch. And I'm, I'm glad it's out there and I'm glad that I know about it because, uh, yep, it, it makes <laughs> uh, when I think back on my time growing up in that area at schools very much like that. Um, it, it less, less whimsical, my memories, uh, than this show is. This show is way more whimsical than, than the real lived thing was. So, uh, I like that. Uh, I feel like he kind of gave me a little bit of a present personally, because now I'm able to, uh, filter some aspects of my experience through this prism. And this prism is at least a hair more fun. Uh, so, so there's that. Okay. Um, and I, I like that you talk about the reality of the situation, and I really want to 
put some focus on that today in, in the show. After we, you know, passed the spoiler wall and talked about like the meat of the story, I really want to talk about kind of the the environment that led to the uh, situation that Justin was put in, and I want to talk about kind of especially from that point, which took place in. Uh, the the story itself was in 2011, and here we are in 2020, and it's a completely different environment, but so much of it is still kind of the same. And I really want to talk about the reality behind the the whimsy, as you described it. Um, so that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so I think we can't really go too much further without dropping into spoiler territory. Uh, so I highly uh, advise that you check it out. You can also, I think you can really still enjoy the musical and the story, even if you were to know what happens. And I think it's very much about the journey, but we will give you a chance if you would like to go in as fresh as possible uh, to click off. Uh, so while you're doing that, uh, you can find the... Uh, this American Life Story on everywhere podcasts are found. You can also find it on the This American Life website. You can also just Google uh, 21 Chump Street and it'll bring you to all of the different places you can listen. Uh, the This American Life YouTube channel has the live performance and the uh, the live cast album, or not the live cast album, but the cast album is also available on Spotify, iTunes, etc. So it's 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 available. If you want to if you want to put it in your brain, it's available for you. Also while you're on iTunes, why don't you go ahead and hey, hey, why don't you leave us a rating or a review? You know what that does? Listen, leaning close. You know what that does? That helps us get to the top of the charts. It helps other people find us. And you know what that does? It helps us keep making this show. So uh, if you're feeling so inclined, please do so. We would appreciate it. So, with all that said, we will be back right after this break. All right, we are back. Oh my gosh, Lex Michael, you know that it's my favorite time. It's time to bust a recap. All right, I'm going to run with this. So here's here's what happens in 21 Chump Street. So we're the, the action is set at Park Vista Community High School in Lake Worth, Florida, and our protagonist is a young man named Justin LeBoy, who's a, who's a pretty good, he's a good student, and he's not into all that drug stuff. Now, uh, a new girl, transfer student, comes uh, to school and joins him in a couple of his classes, a girl named Naomi Rodriguez, and instantly, Justin develops this intense crush on her, tries to ask her out, you know, it's like, well, uh, I'll do I'll do anything if it means I can I can take you on a date, you know, it's not even, it's not even necessarily about like weird, crude sex stuff, it's just like, you're so pretty and you're so interesting and I just want to be able to be be close to you what what can make that happen now little does uh, Justin know that Naomi is in fact a 25 year old undercover police officer who is there at the school as a plant to figure out which students are selling drugs so she starts asking Justin uh, you know can can I do do you smoke can uh, can you get me some? And he's like, oh, I don't smoke. I'm not really into any of that. But if if that's what it takes, totally, I will help you out um, if it means I can get a little more time with you and stuff. And so he essentially 
follows, uh, he tries to follow a, a, a chain basically to acquire some drugs because like his buddies don't necessarily have it. He doesn't hang out with dealers and stuff like that. And so he goes through uh, basically a chain of contacts so that he can uh, uh, help facilitate this, uh, this, this drug exchange for this girl that he has a crush on. And eventually he acquires some and he slips it uh, over uh, into her purse in class and stuff. And then uh, at some uh, point a little bit later in the very, very near future, uh, they they bust a bunch of these kids, right? Like they, they round up something like 30 kids from these three schools in the Palm Beach County area that uh, were dealing drugs. Now in the state of Florida, dealing marijuana is a felony, you know, at this at this time and especially on school grounds that's uh, that's no good and justin was uh, over 18 at the time that he did this so uh, not only does he have to grapple with the reality that this girl that he had a huge crush on was an undercover officer that set him up to take this fall but also now because he's got this felony on his record like he here's this young man who's just now taken his first steps into the world and now has this awful thing hanging around his neck you know for for ostensibly the rest of his life impacting what choices he can and cannot make impacting what options are available to him or not and it was all over something as stupid and harmless and completely undeserving of a crackdown uh as marijuana and oh boy does my heart break for this kid seriously um so he ended up uh, he pled guilty because they, they i mean they got him they basically got him dead to rights and stuff so he pled guilty in court because he realized he would lose the case and he got i believe three years parole uh probation. three years sorry probation that's yeah what he got three years probation and he had to spend a week uh in jail i believe and then of course uh, it's pointed out by a number of people that regardless of his uh academic performance he's probably not going to have very good options as far as what colleges he can get into. And by extension, you know, what, what his prospects beyond would be. It's pretty heartbreaking. Um, and uh, I believe Naomi, the officer, when, when asked about it, she didn't really feel any remorse about it whatsoever. She basically said, I'm a cop. Cops are going to cop. That's right. That's what we do. Yeah. And that, uh, brings me to, a, a little segment that we haven't done in a long time called what's the difference. Um, and so I think that the main difference between the musical version and the real story is that the musical gives a lot of characterization to Naomi. Uh, they give her a motive. They give her uh, kind of a bit of remorse that like, Oh man, this character really feels bad about what, she did and like she's kind of struggling between her sense of duty and the humans behind the task that she has to do um whereas like the original naomi in the story i was almost kind of like laughing about it and it's just like yeah you know i did this thing and you know i'm sure that we're gonna keep doing it we're effective cops oh boy we're gonna use all our budget to to fuck up stuff um which right. I verbatim those aren't her exact words, but verbatim. That's what they print so, on the side of the cruisers. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think we get a little bit of solace in that. I looked up how Justin is doing and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's got his own business now. He, he originally wanted to go to the air force, um, but having a felony on his record meant that he couldn't do that. Like any, like, 
public service slash like armed forces was at a, off the table for him. He ended up going to the local college. Um, uh, he went to Palm Beach State College and then uh, essentially is now doing uh, like uh, car detailing in Wellington. So J- Justin's doing okay. Um, which like the, fir- the moment I heard this story, that was the first thing I had to look up because I was like, man, they done fucked this kid's life up. Uh, which is like a big piece of this story that you have to take away. And, and another part of the reality that like I, I, I went and looked it up as well. The kind of rights that you lose once you become a felon, quote unquote, or you have a felony on your record. And so you lose uh, and it's varies from state to state. However, uh, a fairly umbrella amount of rights that you lose are you know you lose the right to vote Mm -hmm. you lose the right to bear arms or own guns um not to say you can't find them under illegal uh means because you know america um you know you you don't uh, have a right to jury service uh in most employment fields you uh aren't allowed to work in places like you can have a, a spotless record otherwise uh, and you could effectively have all of the experience necessary, but the moment you have that F on your record, essentially, uh, most places will discount you immediately. Um, you are exempt from public social uh, benefits and housing. Um, some people lose their parental benefits uh, just because they have that F on their record. And so uh, these are just a few of the things that you lose from having a felony on your record, and you can get that F uh fairly easily as you see in this musical slash real story um and so i mean that's the i feel like that's the main difference between the uh the original story and the musical is that like the motivations they give naomi are that she um had may have had drugs uh affect her family um and she like really remembers the like smart and uh like kids with potential but at the same time she feels like what she's doing is the absolute best way to root out uh pills and weed etc in schools because that's also a thing that will ruin kids futures so like you 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 have to feel her her weighing those two things on each hand um as opposed to the reality where she's like, yep, he asked me to the prom. <laughs> what, uh, yes, what, what undermines it ever so slightly for me, even though I do think it makes perfect sense as a character motivation, uh, what, what undercuts it slightly for me is when, uh, as part of her stated motivation, she lumps marijuana in with things like cocaine and ecstasy and much harder drugs. Uh, it, it made it ever so slightly more difficult for me to take her all that seriously, but not, I, I do think it was a sort of very savvy character decision, um, when they were adapting this, but it just, yeah, I'm just like, that's not you're this is misguided. This is very misguided. Maybe read, maybe read a book. <laughs> um, yes. Which I think brings me to this. I, I can't even call this a new segment cause it's not a, I don't know if it'll be a thing that is ongoing at any point, which maybe because maybe for this month, because we're doing stuff that is uh, effectively uh, based on real life. But uh, we're going to call this context, context Corner. Corner. 
And so uh, I would like to kind of go into a little bit of why someone would be inclined to equate weed and harder drugs like, uh, you know, uh, cocaine or heroin or even like, I don't know, fucking barbiturates. I don't know what drugs are. I'm a bad drug person. Um, but, but, but I th- right, like, well, no, why, why would you write when, uh, we're talking about substances that can, can, and frequently do kill people, uh, or, uh, create within the, uh, within the body, a toxic environment that then becomes this like, um, Ouroboros of like, you have to constantly keep feeding this, this horrible poisonous cycle versus a substance that is literally a great deal less harmful than most of the food you eat. Right. And it's been proven multiple times that uh, marijuana doesn't really have many negative effects on the body. Um, There have been no absolutely zero deaths due to like marijuana overdose or or something. Um, So the the war on drugs specifically against marijuana started back in the 30s when a man wanted to essentially like turn racism into a weapon a- against a group of people specifically back in the thirties, they were trying to uh, weaponize people's racism against Mexicans. And so they wanted to associate, they wanted people to associate Mexicans with uh, marijuana and essentially uh, found a way to combine those two hatreds into one. Um, and then that was only exacerbated uh, by Nixon back in 1968 when he and his campaign were really trying to fuck up the anti-war left. They also really hated black people. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to do a direct quote from his, the assistant to the president for domestic affairs uh, that served under president Nixon. Um, I'm not going to do a voice for this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the quote is, the Nixon Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? He knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And that mentality continued on through the 70s and 80s, especially because um, essentially this war on drugs... um, became such a big zeitgeisty thing that uh, presidents who were quote unquote soft on it um, were less likely to gain favor with their uh, their constituents and, and people in the general uh, nation. And so uh, it was then brought to a bigger head with Reagan who <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find this because it, it is insane because Reagan yep. essentially he started uh, a lot of the massive increase in incarceration, um, and he took it from like fifty thousand in nineteen eighty to four hundred thousand by nineteen ninety seven, um, and so that was like a big snowball that he had started off, and in in addition to including like minimum mandatory minimum sentences. 
which essentially uh, were very uh, heavily weighted towards people of color. So, for example, five grams of crack would lead to an automatic five-year sentence, while you had to have 500 grams of powder cocaine to have that same sentence. Uh, which, as uh, if you know anything about the 80s, you know that uh, crack was very uh, prevalent in the uh, black and brown communities, whereas cocaine was the like upper echelon white people's version of crack. Like It's the same thing, it's just a matter of how you put it in your body, and uh, white people chose to use it in powder form. And so white people, they were like, ah, oh, it's just a little cocaine. And then for black people, they're like, oh, shit, he has a little crack. He's going to fucking kill us. Um, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> um, but like that all kind of takes us t- through the 90s where, um, you know, uh, Clinton also effectively Uh, In order to get elected, he was also like, yo, I'm also going to increase uh, this uh, police presence. I'm going to I'm going to put money towards them. Guys, I'm going to be so hard on crime. You have no fucking idea. I'm going to escalate things so hard. Um, And and that took us through the 90s. But like in the early 2000s, people started to kind of realized that weed's not not that bad and so uh we started getting legalization from state to state like still today it is federally illegal but like on a state basis uh weed is elite is legal in in most places um like specifically in florida there it's like a giant enterprise that's run by um i, I think essentially it's five uh, companies and they are making in the millions of bi- and, and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, I, I I did a little bit of research on the top companies um, okay. because I have set up this landscape uh, that uh, the p- main people who have been affected by a crackdown on drugs uh, and specifically weed have been people of color, and yep. so uh, here are the top companies uh, that uh, are basically running the weed, the like legal weed uh, industry. There's Cannabis Science. There is Medical Marijuana Corps, uh, Terra Tech Corps, Grow Life Inc., Grow, uh, Green Grow Technologies. And these are adjacent companies that help with the growing of the industry. Um, How many do you think are owned or uh, CEO'd by people of color. Uh, and h- how many? Do you, you said the top five? Um, yeah, these are the top five. How many of the top five? I'm going to guess f- five of them. Five of them are run by people of color? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Five of them are run by white um, people. Yes. Well, close. So we got one. So if you're going to support any um, cannabis company, support Cannabis Science, Inc., because they have a black CEO and find founder, Raymond C. Dabney. Um, all the rest, white people. Um, and then in terms of stocks, so like the uh, highest selling corporations, we have Canopy, Canopy Growth, uh, worth $6.99 billion. Um, We have GW Pharmaceuticals, worth $3.21 billion. Uh, we have Cureleaf Holding, 
2.75 billion. Kronos Group, 2.33 billion. Aurora Cannabis, 2.31 billion. How many of those do you think uh, are owned by people of color? Um, none. Correct. Um, so here are the also, I don't, <laughs> these, it's like, it, it's insane. Um, because the people most affected by this, uh, this war on drugs are the people who are being boxed out of the industry that is essentially making money off of the same thing that they were busted for. Um, right. and a lot of the people who are, who have gotten out of jail for, let's say, selling weed, um, cannot get jobs at these companies that sell weed because they have that F on their record. It is right. insane. Um, yeah. Another statistic I want to throw out. Um, uh, what, would you, what would you say the percentage of owners of, of weed companies are uh, white? What would you ballpark? Uh, I would say 80 plus. 81%. Yep, there we go. Boom, yep. nailed it. Um, so, uh, it's, that's the, the rest of it, you know, are like 6.7% of people describing themselves as other. Um, and then seven or 5.7%, uh, Hispanic Latino, 4.3% African American, 2.4% Asian. I just want to put this in context in terms of how, uh, this experience with Justin LeBoy um, only like less than 10 years ago, um, is something that is now being, uh, um, something that is now a multi-million, uh, dollar industry. Uh, and, but it just eight years ago, it was something that could ruin the prospects of someone who didn't even fucking smoke weed. He was trying to impress a girl and had to go through a number of people in order to get some weed to get entrapped into getting that sweet, sweet felony charge. And don't get me started on fucking plea deals because mm -hmm. they're just a way to railroad people through the system. They're like, oh boy, we don't have enough uh, prosecutors and, and public defenders. So yo, why don't you just take this plea deal? Whether you're guilty or not, doesn't matter. Everyone's like this jury of your peers is going to see you as guilty anyway. Cause like it's your word against the cops and like, they're always going to believe the cops. So just fucking take that guilty plea, get that off on F on your record, or maybe we'll bump it down to a misdemeanor. You'll get probation. Uh, and then, oh man, you can get on with your life no matter how hard that's going to be. Right. No, I mean, and, and you refer to, you know, it's this multi-billion dollar industry now, and a lot of places across the country have started to ease up a little bit on marijuana prohibition, but you still, even in some of these same states, you still have a number of people who are sitting on their ass in jail serving sentences for a, a nickel bag of weed that, that there's just no, it's. But again, look, I mean, to, to recap, drug policy in this country is predicated on racism and very little else, right? right. So uh, if what we're talking about, if you're listening to this conversation and what we're talking about is making you mad, uh, it should. Where have you been? Welcome to the party. Uh, especially <laughs> when, when, like you were saying, like you laid out that history, right? Like starting with um, Harry Anslinger in the 30s, who, by the way, like this dude um, who initially conflated um, <laughs> essentially drug policy 
and uh, uh, racism basically directly tied the two together. Um, he was uh, he was the first commissioner of the the Treasury Department's Bureau of Narcotics, and he served under something like four or five presidents. I think it was like Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy. Um, did this job for for three decades plus, I think. And he he knew, just like the Nixon administration, just like they copped to being fully aware that this drug was not dangerous at all. It was just a way for them to demonize groups that they didn't like. That's where it started. That's what they built upon. Like that was the foundation. And every brick that they laid on drug policy in the decades to come was built on that foundation. Um, and it should it should piss you off. It really should. It should, especially because as we've now hit a couple of times, weed is the most harmless fucking thing on the planet. It really is. The worst thing that's going to happen to you if you become a stoner is you, you'll probably uh, spend a little more time on the couch and watch some more cartoons and eat some more cereal for the first like two weeks or so. And then your body is going to adapt to it. And then at, at a certain point, like the, the, myth of the non-functioning stoner starts to fall away as you realize, oh, no, that's not actually what it does. You know what I mean? Like if it if it uh, if weed destroys your life, it, it wasn't actually the weed that did it. It was going to be something if it wasn't weed. Um, that's probably something you should look into and kind of like do some personal work on. Um, but the point is that this shit is harmless. It's always been harmless. And the people who are setting these draconian policies um, to entrap and punish people for possession or use of marijuana, they've known since day one that it was completely harmless. And so how did we get to where we are now, where there are still people who are sitting in jail uh, behind marijuana charges, while a whole bunch of predominantly white people are now raking in millions upon millions upon millions of dollars a year in this business? It's because these are people who were so completely invested in keeping these racist structures in place that the only way it was ever going to pivot at all is if some of these same racist assholes could figure out a racist way to pivot. So right. we'll pivot to something that's a little bit more uh, accessible, a little bit more quote unquote uh, uh, free and fair and shit. But we're only going to do it if we can figure out a way to continue to box out the people of color that these uh, policies were put in place to demonize and punish to begin with. It's both the least surprising thing in the world and also the most infuriating. Like I was going to say heartbreaking at first, but more than I feel sad about it, it, it makes me fucking angry. Like it, you always kind of knew as somebody like I've smoked weed for a number of years. And so I was sort of invested in following the discussions about, you know, rolling back some of these policies. Um, but I, I was watching it going, oh, I see what's going to happen here. This is never actually going to get better unless the racist white people can figure out how they and only they can profit off of things improving. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why things are not improving as quickly as they need to be. That's why there are still people sitting in jail on bullshit charges in a time where it is not fucking safe to be sitting in jail. It's it it it's like white knuckle anger inducing. I don't know about you, well, sir. It may it makes me mad. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think that that has been true for a lot of history in that a lot of uh, the big progressive moments, um, you know, they're, they're, yes, the result of a lot of hard fighting and protests and, and outrage and things of that sort. And a lot of them have also been in, in, in terms of like legislation, uh, they had to be tied to something financial like so uh one of the big 
pieces of uh, legislation that ended segregation was tied to uh, people's finances in that it uh, the argument that was segregation limited people's ability to make money across state lines. And so they uh, effectively used that to uh, get people to agree to end segregation. Um, you know, and as much as people tout um, Lincoln for ending slavery, it was also a, an economic decision in that the South heavily relied on slavery economically. And so it was a, it was helpful for him to try to end it in order to end the Civil War. Uh, so, like, there is always going to be an economic aspect in order to make progress. Um, and I mean, it, it, that's shitty. Like you would want ideally for people to, uh, see a, a disparity or see a, a bad in life in the world that they live in and want to, uh, end it out of some kind of, I don't know, like, goodness or empathy or uh love or some some romantic notion but until that is a, a universal standard right now the only real way to effectively make change is to hit people in their pockets um there's a really big thing happening right now where there's a drive to defund the police um and a lot of people get the they get stuck on the wording of like oh you can't defund the police oh we they need money but what that actually is is effectively redistributing resources from the police who have been heavily uh over budgeted in, from state to state city to city because they have also been taking on a lot of the assignments that smaller uh more niche groups would have been taking over so mental health uh home uh uh homelessness um like drug related things uh all of these things have been thrown upon police's shoulders over the years as those organizations have been defunded uh and now we as a society uh or at least we as a progressive society are looking to try to take some of those funds back uh, and try to make it so that police aren't the ones going into people's schools and trying to bust them as a as a misguided way of reducing crime or drugs in schools, and instead having people like counselors who uh, people can re uh, refer to if they are having problems with drugs, and and making it more uh, accessible as a resource for people who need specific issues as opposed to solving all problems with a blunt object, which is the police. They're trained in one specific way, which is to de-escalate using violence. And so now we need something new. We need a way to de-escalate using people who are specifically trained in these arenas to come in and handle these situations as they are supposed to be handled. I really want to emphasize this using drugs and i have another statistic for you guys i know you're like where are all these fucking statistics coming from this is a funny <laughs> show and i get it and if you are 
legitimately asking where these resources are, these statistics are coming from, I will link them in the description just for you. Um, but a specific uh, statistic on incarceration related to drug offenses is that it's shown to have uh, little to no impact on misuse rates. Instead, it, in fact, uh, increases mortality from overdose. In the first two weeks uh, of being released from prison, individual, individuals are 13 times more likely to die in the, than in the general population. The leading cause of death among recently released individuals is overdose. During that period, individuals are at a uh, 129% greater risk of dying for overdose than the general public. Um, the, the current system that we have for incarceration uh, effectively uh, serves to not only uh, house a lot of innocent people, but it also uh, has a habit of turning innocent people into criminals. Um, we have created a system in which we... Uh, create a, a segmented grouping of, of uh, people who were desperate and trying to survive and put them in a contained space where they have to find a way to survive. Uh, and there are smaller ecosystems in those environments, which essentially uh, cause these people to have to do things that they would not have done otherwise. And then being released to the general public, stripping them of all of their rights and their resources, we effectively put them in an even more desperate situation. And we know that like desperation and poverty are heavily linked to drug use because statistically those are the environments in which uh, crime and, and drug use and uh, homelessness and, and, and mental illness are prevalent because uh, these things are, 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 uh, heavily associated with the lack of resources. Um, so these are just ways that I'm trying to illustrate the the desperate need we have for a change in the system that we currently have. Right, because as you just laid out in detail, most of the policies that are in place are there. Uh, it's all punitive. None of it is about rehabilitation. It's all about punishment. It's all about um, filling for profit prisons. It's all about, I mean, look at that, look at this, the story that, that sparked this entire conversation. You are not going to do anything to solve the issue of drugs in schools by putting a couple of undercover cops in there and arresting 30 kids at a time. You're going to, you are going to make the arrest. You're going to fill some quotas, but you're not even, uh, you're not even starting to address fundamentally the underlying problem because as you just described, the police are not uh, structured in a way where they're capable of doing that. Now, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, like, yeah, that's a really messy kind of crummy system. Like, okay, maybe they, they took a run at this in good faith, but clearly it's not working. Well, why aren't we doing something different? And therein lies maybe the most depressing aspect of this entire discussion, which is much like marijuana, which they knew full well was not dangerous in the slightest and yet came up with this this sort of narrative to sell people on, to dupe people, essentially, uh, they know that this shit doesn't work. This isn't something that they're taking a good faith run at and it's just not quite working out. But maybe if we uh, tweak an element or two, we can really get this right. No, like they they know exactly what they're doing. They know that it's all about 
uh, uh, punishment and not about rehabilitation. They know that it's about a system that'll just reinforce itself. They'll get done what they need to get done quota wise for the month. And it doesn't really matter who gets hurt because the job of the system is not to rehabilitate people. It's to reinforce itself. That to me is maybe fundamentally more so even than infuriating the most depressing aspect is that it was designed this way intentionally and it will take very intentional and sustained action to get it to change. Because if you allow it to change of its own accord, eventually it it may, but it will be a lot like marijuana policy, which is it will only pivot when the people in charge that are usually making decisions uh, based on either greed or bigotry can find a way to directly benefit from a pivot, um, uh, which in effect ultimately means the same people stay in charge, the same people still benefit, the same people are still hurt, but it looks a little different so that everybody feels placated for a second there. They're like, yay, progress, but nothing really fundamentally philosophically has changed. And so the only way to undo intentional damaging negative policy is with intentional, aggressive, um, actionable and compassionate solution. But it starts with becoming aware fundamentally of why these things are the way they are. And unfortunately, like a great many of things that are the way they are, they are that way because people are um, people are shits, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna, if I'm going to tie it all up in a nice little bow, it's that people are shits and people rely on others not knowing uh, the history, not knowing the information, not knowing the statistics and just buying what what seems like a very digestible narrative. Like, you know, it's it's way easier. I, I totally get it. It's way easier to go, oh, well, if you use drugs, you're a, you're a monster and you should probably be in jail. Like, it's way easier to just go that far and never think about it again. They depend on you not doing the research yourself. They depend on you not knowing these things to keep things the way that they are. So, um, yeah, you should be you should be mad. You should be depressed about it. Um, and and follow up on some of the resources that that uh, Tari J is offering you, because that's the only way we can essentially work to dismantle this is by first understanding that it is this way intentionally. This is not an accident. They know exactly what they're doing and they don't care. Right. <sighs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sliding my, my soapbox under the, under the bed now. Oh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> but so you talk about resources and you, and, and this has been what I would describe as one of our more dour episodes. Um, despite the subject material being delivered in a very light way. So I think that like at this point, I would like to talk about what, what you can do. Um, or like if you're if you're if you're angry and you're like oh, I just want to do something, uh, we'll know that at at the moment um, you have the opportunity to make a change. You have the opportunity to help. You have the opportunity to educate yourself. Um, so uh, that I think is is the first step is education. And so here are a couple things that are happening in the world. Um, there are people legislators and senators and governors who are working towards giving pardons to people who are, have been incarcerated for marijuana and are in states that it is now legal. So that is very helpful. There is a discussion right now about legalization versus decriminalization. And I suggest that you do research on that as well. Um, there are pros and cons for both. 
Um, the hard part about legalization is that there are these people who are taking advantage of the system. This that 81% of white people who are capitalizing on the legalization of weed. Um, those are the people you have to be wary of. So really look into the concept of legalization versus decriminalization. Second of all, um, you should look into something called social equity programs, which are helping people who are of color, uh, get on equal footing with these people who are taking advantage of the current system and it uh, gives them the opportunity to start their own businesses. And if you are someone who is, who has, you know, have, says that F on your, on your record and uh, you are looking for, let's say a legal way to sell weed, then look into these social equity programs. Um, They will help get a leg up, help you get the loans you need uh, well, sort of. The loans are a very difficult uh, thing and because, you know, it's federally still illegal. So, like, grants and shit um, so that you can start your business. And then if you have the opportunity, I would say, uh, and even if you're not someone who is uh, who has that F on your record, you know, give those people a chance. Like, give them the opportunity to be in your company because this might be the only opportunity that they have. I think that that is also like something that we can do on a regular basis is still give the people with that F on their record, uh, a chance to, uh, be on your team. Like that's, it's, it's the same way that like, if you are a minority, uh, in a company, you and your company w- would benefit from also diversifying your team. Um, you can also help, by diversifying your team, by not overlooking people just because they have that felony on their record. Um, Another thing is uh, we have an election that's coming up uh, and I would also look at your local elections and see what your uh, mayor, your prosecutors, your DEAs, what their stance is on drugs and uh the the criminal justice process uh if they are a i'm a law and order type of person they probably aren't the best person to change the current system that we have so really like i encourage you to do your research and look into the people who are running locally in your city in your state in your county and figure out what their stance is and if you feel like they will make a, a positive change uh, or they will maintain the status quo or they're going to be regressive. Like, I can't tell you what you believe, but like, I can tell you that me as a person, I believe that we should keep moving forward. Um, we've had a lot of regression over the last four years. And I think that like, we're going to need some strong stances moving forward. So really do your due diligence. This is probably one of the more important uh, voting cycles. So uh, really keep that in mind and uh, do that due diligence. I know that it's time consuming. I know that it is, it's difficult and it's also really tough to find credible sources for your research. Like there's a yep. lot of like partisan 
uh, stuff that will come out that'll be like, this person's shitty for this reason. This person's shitty for that reason. So I, I encourage you to find as neutral a source as possible so that it's not skewed or biased in one specific way. I think there is a, um, there's a chart that I need to find, and I'll see if I can tweet it or put it in the description that says what different resources uh, skew uh, politically. I think the, the most neutral and high uh, info slash statistic dense was the AP. So I, that will be, that's one I would like to shove your way. AP is a, a Associated Press, uh, for those who don't know what AP stands for, um, is a very good resource. And it's where a lot of local news, a lot of uh, newspapers get their their information before publishing themselves. So I would say like AP is a very good resource. Um, so Lex, do you have any final thoughts before we start wrapping up? Um, I mean, no, I, I just, I hope that people actually do follow up on some of these resources. And I would say too, yeah, just, just c commit to the learning curve because there is a learning curve, not just in terms of the, the actual information in question, but also parsing information to figure out what's reliable, what's not. Um, I, I would actually be curious myself to take a look at that chart when you find it. But also what I, what I did, what I recommend, uh, one, stay off of Facebook, uh, two, uh, I think Twitter can be a solid resource, but you do really need to learn how to parse Twitter, especially because Twitter can also be, uh, the same big nasty swamp of misinformation that any other platform can be. I would say, uh, like what I do is I started a couple of years ago by just following individual journalists who different publications, but without following the publications themselves. And I looked at the work these individual journalists were doing, and then I watched them start to argue with each other and debate and pick apart each other's points of view. And over time, you start to see who can actually, um, who can actually uh, back up what they're saying with sourced, uh, credible information. Um, but whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah. Because we all, if we had all started doing this years ago, we may not be dealing with so many of the problems that we are dealing with now. Um, and as Tari said, and I, I second this wholeheartedly, we are coming up on, I'll even go further, probably the single most important voting cycle in the history of the United States of America. And I think there has never been a better uh, name or crucial time uh, to just commit to that that learning curve. It's not always going to be fun or exciting or sexy. And it's usually uh, uh, more more than anything else going to probably make you angry and sad. Mm -hmm. But uh, you, you got to unfortunately, you got to stare right at the problem, no matter how shitty it makes you feel. If there's any way you're going to be able to help tackle and hopefully solve it. Um, so I think now is now is the, the best time. There is no time like the present to, to get a little bit more involved, to pay a little bit more attention, because more of this stuff does impact your day to day than you might be aware of uh, in your day to day. So even if only uh, uh, for selfish motivations, I think it's it's definitely worth uh, catching up on on some of this. Um, so I'm, I'm glad. Uh, look, A, I'm glad that I got to see uh, another uh, little uh, uh, short form musical project from Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, it's jarring to me because as we established early in this conversation, this was pretty literally in my backyard uh, where I grew up. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to talk about uh, the the sort of wider range of issues that this story 
touches on because too, like I, I, I would, I guess I would call myself uh, a pretty big weed advocate. Um, and so while I do not profess to be an expert on the legality of anything whatsoever, I do have a bit of a, a vested interest in this discussion specifically. And I, I do think this is a great, a great way in for people if you want to start uh, maybe to be a little bit more civic minded, um, start thinking about uh, laws and rights and freedoms. I feel like this is a great way in because you can take so much of what got us to where we are today in terms of drug policy and apply it pretty much across the board. And it paints a picture of this country and of people that is maybe not the most flattering uh, conceivable image, but it's only by staring directly at that image, uh, warts and all, unpleasantness and all, uh, bigotry, evil, greed, and all, uh, until it, like, you feel like you're dying emotionally. <laughs> because, no, but seriously, because only by staring directly at it and accepting the reality for what it is, can you begin to dismantle that reality. So I'm hoping that that everybody, like, uh, look, sorry there weren't more more uh, poop jokes this week. Uh, we'll be back to the poop jokes next week, I guess. But uh, I'm glad that we had this conversation and I'm I'm hoping that that it sparks something in people's minds. And I'm hoping that a couple of you guys who maybe uh, haven't been having these conversations will actually sort of take advantage of these resources and will uh, will will follow up with some of it, because I think it is well worthwhile. And it's it's very important, very important right now that we are all as informed as we can be, because there are plenty of folks who have a vested interest in keeping us otherwise. And right. there's some of the same folks who have been keeping these policies so rigidly in place for so long. I agree. And I think that like something I, I evergreen that you can take away from this episode, like I know we've mentioned the upcoming uh, election and let's say you're listening to this uh, years, years from now. Um, the, the main core is that we have uh, a system that is fundamentally uh, broken at the core, or at least it has a lot of issues, and you are not powerless within that system. Uh, and the first step is to educate yourself and understand where you sit within that system how you benefit, how you are being disenfranchised by it. Um, all of these things are important, and it's a slow process. It's something that takes time. Like, no one expects you to learn every aspect of the way that our country or the way that our world works in a day, a week, a month, uh, or even your year. Uh, but essentially, we are advocating that you take the time and really like put yourself in a position to be the most effective uh, in uh, you know, changing the system from within it, but also like, you know, making sure that it is a, something that is in your best interest, something that is working in your favor. Like, the purpose of a government is to be a representative voice of the people. Uh, we often forget that, you know, uh, especially with modern politics, that the people are, are effectively in charge. And, like, the people in power would have you uh, not exercise that power, but, like, 
we have collectively the ability to affect massive and sweeping change over time. And uh, knowing you have that ability and feeling empowered to use it is really what I hope that you take from this podcast. This example of things that have gone wrong in our current system and lighting a fire inside of you or just a, a non-funny reminder that there are there's still work to be done um, and really just kind of engaging you in a way that you kind of step back and look at what you can do to positively affect the world that you live in. Uh, so that's all. That's all I want. Um, so if someone wanted to keep talking about this with you, Lex, or, uh, oh, I guess also, we're not saying like, oh, man, you have to fucking love drugs. But uh, I am saying that you have to understand the context in which drugs are criminalized in our current system. Whether you feel like drugs are good or bad isn't the the issue. It is how drugs are treated in our current criminal justice system. That yeah. said, Lex, if someone wanted to talk to you about um, what we discussed today, or they just wanted to fucking jazz with you about weed, baby, where can they find you? <laughs> if you wanted, yes, if you want to jazz with me, I like jazz as a verb. If you want to jazz with me about weed, uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Uh, and I also I do another podcast with my partner, Marianne Ramish. It's called Friends with Benefits. Now, she is a big fan of the TV show, the pop culture juggernaut that is friends. I'm not. And and so she uh, I'm, I'm what's known as a, a fixer upper. So she's going to try and fix me up by converting me by making me into a fan of this show that she really likes. So we're going to sit down. We have been sitting down and watch all two billion four hundred and 57,806 episodes of Friends, and we're going to talk about it from a fan perspective and from a critical perspective. Now, HBO Max launched pretty recently. They've, they're the streaming home of Friends now, so that's that's up and running, and you guys can watch along with us as we go through uh, episode by episode. But we're having a really good time doing it. The show, again, is called Friends with Benefits, uh, and you can check that out wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, Tari J, where can people keep up with you, where can people jazz with you about uh, how much I like weed? Ooh, damn! You can jazz with me at Tari J. That's T A U R I J A Y on Twitter, baby. You can jazz with me about anime. You can jazz with me about pop culture. You can even jazz with me about coffee, baby. That's my drug. I do caffeine like it's fucking heroin. Woo! Uh, so that's what you can do. Um, but if you want to talk to me, also, I guess, yes, you can talk to me about how much uh, Lex Michael loves weed, and I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's what I'll do. Um, but most importantly, you can Find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram, but we don't use our Instagram. Uh, but also, like, you can find the resources for all of the statistics that we have cited uh, in the description of this episode. Uh, I will also include links to uh, more neutral web 
like neutral news sources. If you would like to discuss that with us, you can talk, you can, you know, you can hit us up at the previously mentioned social medias. Um, and if you want to just, if you want recommendations for, uh, things to just like listen to that, uh, will help educate you on different things. We can also provide that. So uh, yeah, keep hitting us up. And so we're going to be continuing this same theme, July's, with Catch Me If You Can. This was recommended by Twitter user at Lisa underscore McNabb. Uh, We're getting you this time. She had recommended something before. We weren't able to do it because it wasn't available. And so we are getting back at her. Not in a vengeance way, but like we're just getting back around to doing a suggestion. Um, And so (laughs) everything, everything I do is vengeance. (laughs) Everything I do is the night. Uh, So uh, next week, we're going to be covering the movie. Catch me if you can. Uh, I assume that that will be a lot more upbeat. Uh, but who knows? I might make it about black shit again. Who knows? <laughs> um, so please catch us next week and we'll be covering that. Uh, and we will continue to let you know what we'll be doing over the course of July with this fun, fun, silly, willy uh, thing we call <laughs> July. Um, I just like saying that. Uh, all right. So until then, this has been the retrospective that is introspective. And now you have a new perspective. Go blaze one up for freedom, kids. Blaze it up for freedom. Something you will never smoke again. No matter what they tell you. Let's have another joint tonight. It was good. Ha, 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 ha.